Good morning, although it's closer to noon, actually. You are listening to Action Line on KNY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me today is Fire Chief Dan Etheridge for our Capital City Fire and Rescue. How are you doing today? Uh, good. Uh, it's uh, Rich Etheridge. Rich Etheridge? Yep. I'm so sorry. Dan's my counterpart in the fire marshal's office. That is true, because I've talked to Dan before. That's probably when my brain did that. Yeah, he's like the main go-to guy for the fire department. Yes. Well, I'm only human. That's, that's one of the things I'll always bring up. I'm only human. I can make, have a slip up here and there. Now, there was a couple things I want to talk to you about today. And obviously, the first big one was the fire that happened on Thursday. Yeah. So what can you talk to me about that? Sure. Um, we got a report of a uh, structure fire. And as we were responding to it, um, you know, we were advised that there could be someone still inside the, the structure. Um, you know, our folks, you know, uh, they didn't stop and get a fire hydrant. They just went straight into the fire. Because our fire engines carry almost a thousand gallons of water, so they would start the firefighting efforts and the search and rescue, and just rely on the next engine to to bring a water supply to them. So um, they went in, they did a quick search, they found the victim very quickly. Um, you know, got him out of the building and started CPR. Um, they ran through the the full cardiac arrest uh, protocols, and the the person just didn't survive the the, the smoke inhalation. So um, that's when. Um, uh, JPD and the fire marshal stepped in and took over the investigation jointly to to look into the cause of the fire. Okay, and that investigation is still ongoing, correct? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, they haven't determined they, they've determined the area where the fire started. They just haven't figured out the the exact cause of the fire yet. So, okay, and, and that's kind of what I was wondering because I know we we ran we talked about it again this morning in the newscast, and so that was sort of one of the I thoughts I was going to have was seeing where that investigation was. And that's, and that's another one of those things where that kind of shows the, so the chain of information from you guys to me where it's like, I still have the initial release. I still have that initial information, but because we're waiting on that investigation, there's not much more I can elaborate on. Yeah, that. exactly. And we don't want to prematurely put information out there, especially in a fire investigation, because we could be going down one path and things look, you know, you know, like they're suspicious or, or accidental either way. And then they find another piece of information that totally changes their theory. So we don't want to start rumors about, you know, oh, this was the cause and then, you know, have to change it midway through because one, it hurts the credibility and two, it can create a lot of confusion and, and having a fire is very emotional uh, for, for the victims of it and their families and the people that are uh, impacted by that. So we don't want to lead people down the wrong path and then have to change our minds. We, we don't want to release stuff until we know for certain that this is the direction that it's going and, and this is information we can count on. And I, and I agree with you there, especially with the, how it can be so very impactful for the families. I remember uh, not this last summer, but uh, back when I was uh, getting ready to go overseas for the very first time for school, uh, my neighbor's house in Anchorage had caught fire. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, they were sort of thinking about what happened there, what was going on there, especially because, you know, it's, it's right next door. And so there was obviously the risk to, to ourselves there. And so it's always, I think it's always good to mention that process like we were just talking about. Yeah. And we generally try and tie some of the fire cause to the, uh, to, to the information that we put out there. Um, a lot of it's for, for public information so that people can think about, hey, what is, is my house safe? You know, that caused a fire in this person's house. I want to go check mine. And whether it's, um, you know, checking your smoke detectors or, or your you know, clearances to your stove or your furnace and things like that. It just hopefully people will take those lessons that other people learn the hard way and, uh, you know, go prevent those kind of issues from happening in their homes. And, and I and I completely agree with you on that. You, there's always, it's important to have that so that way you can sort of have that better preps or even if maybe that it might not be an issue within your home home, just knowing that can help prevent a fire later on. Oh, absolutely. Okay. 
And speaking on that front, I guess that could lead into you got any good fire safety tips? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the biggest causes of fires in uh, our community are unintended cooking. Um, people put stuff on the, the stove and they get distracted um, and, and they start doing other things and they forget that they've got something cooking. Um, so making sure you got clearances to your stove. Uh, a lot of people pile up stuff on the counters right next to the burners and that stuff gets really hot and can ignite. And then pots of things on the stove. Uh, the water boils off and the next thing you know, you've got a, a house full of smoke and uh, if it goes long enough, it can actually ignite and, and take off. So um, that's that's probably the number one cause. Uh, and the other big one is uh, discarded smoking materials. Uh, a lot of folks try and put their cigarettes out in uh, planters, like on their porch and things like that. Uh, what people don't realize is that dirt that they're putting their, their cigarettes out in is mostly just dried peat moss, a little bit of soil and sticks and twigs. So you're basically putting your cigarette out in kindling. And with all the plastic flower pots that are around, you get that smoldering fire going. It ignites the plastic flower pot and then it runs up the, the exterior wall of your house and into your attic space under the eaves really quickly. So um, uh, those, those get out of control pretty quickly. So... Um, you know, discard your cigarettes in a fireproof can not filled with peat moss. <laughs> yeah. Those are a couple of our biggest ones that we see here in town. Okay. And then what would you say for like an electrical fire? Because that's always another big one. Sure. Um, where we see the most electrical fires is uh, misuse of their electrical systems. Um, people use extension cords with like space heaters. Uh, if you actually take a couple minutes and read the directions on a space heater, they all say do not use with uh, extension cords because they draw so much power, it, it overloads the, the electrical system and the extension cord, and we see failures there. Or um, they plug too many things. They get a surge protector or a power strip, and they try and plug you know six or seven things in on an outlet that's designed for one or two things. Uh, so you get uh, the overheating. So if you've got like a refrigerator and a freezer and... Um, you know, throw in a power tool or uh, an entertainment center um, all on one circuit, you can quickly overload those. And that's where we usually end up uh, with electrical problems. Okay. And then one of the topics I also wanted to hit with you, because I definitely wanted to hit those fire safety tips because we were already hitting it. So I'm like, might as well continue down that route, was obviously CCFR is always looking for volunteers. Absolutely. And so how's it looking in that front? Um, we're, we're rebuilding our ranks. COVID uh, kind of knocked us back a little bit. And uh, so we've got a uh, Firefighter One Academy in progress right now. It should be completing next month. So we'll have a dozen new uh, fully trained firefighters uh, uh, in our volunteer ranks next month. Um, but we're always taking applications. Uh, folks can come in and interview and uh, see if the fire department's a good fit for them. And we can start with some of the training. And then uh, you know, we've got uh, academies that occur every year. So we can plug them into a firefighter academy. Uh, we have scene support programs so that you don't have to go inside of burning buildings if you want to just help on the exterior of a, a fire. Uh, we've got lots of work that has to be done there. So uh, it's a super active program. We want to make sure it fits for the person that comes in because uh, there are a lot of time demands. You know, it's at least every Thursday night they're doing some kind of drill. And then being able to respond to calls off duty. So we want to make sure people are aware of what they're getting into and that they know what our expectations are and that it's it's a good fit for them. Okay. And and this is just sort of my, I guess, a showing of my youth or not being in Juneau for, for long enough. But how long has that volunteer part of CCFR been running for? Uh, since the inception of the department back in the 1800s. Okay. Um, yeah, it started out as all volunteer, and then they added a couple of paid positions that were mostly for uh, fire prevention type stuff in the downtown core area. 
And then things just got busy enough. They slowly started adding uh, career positions to the department. And then back in the oh 70s, 80s, um, they, they really went to a big uh, you know combination department where there was quite a few career folks. And even back then, volunteers kind of ran the fire portion of the department. So it wasn't until the early 90s that uh, it became uh, the paid firefighters started running the bulk of it, and then the volunteers supported them. So it's it's been kind of a transition back and forth over the years. Okay. Well, you always do appreciate a free history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate that. And so, and then I'm assuming that, that the volunteers also would apply to the sort of the EMS aspect as well? Yeah. Um, once you sign up with our department, kind of the sky's the limit on where you take uh, your career as a volunteer. Uh, I started out in 91. Uh, as a volunteer firefighter EMT, I uh, took my fire academy here. I was a wildland firefighter prior to that, and, and so I just kind of transitioned into this. And the volunteers, they sent me all over the country for training. Um, you know, I got to do some amazing things. We got to work with, uh, you know, the Baywatch crew when they were here in town filming uh, their movie a few years back. Um, you know, I got to learn how to drive equipment, uh, and, you know, they kind of put me through um, – to where I was able to, you know, become a chief at one point in my career. So, you know, if you come in brand new with no experience, we'll kind of provide everything you need. That's a good career, whether you want to go with a paid position or not. Um, but yeah, the sky's the limit, depending on what effort you want to put into it. Okay. Now, the the detail caught my attention. I didn't know that Baywatch did filming around here. <laughs> that um, that's surprising. <laughs> yeah, back in the the nineties, they they did a movie, uh, Tropic or Bath White Thunder or something like that here in town, and, and they hired the fire department to do a lot of the the safety uh, stuff for their their filming. And huh, did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> it, I don't think it was a super popular movie, but uh, it's out there. Well, that, oh yeah, that might that <laughs> might play a role in it. Well, we're going to take our take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'll talk to you more about some of the other things that are going on with Capital City Fire and Rescue. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. Welcome back to Action Line. I am still your host, Jordan. Listen, joining me in the studio is Richard Etheridge. I did it right this time. <laughs> I, again, I am only human, and I start at like 5 in the morning. I'm very tired. <laughs> now, before the break, I was talking to you about some of the volunteer positions, but there's, I understand there's also some some of the – I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase that. I guess the paid positions. Uh-huh. Let's just be blunt. It, that's yeah. what they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got some paramedic positions that are open right now, so we're recruiting nationwide for paramedics. I also have an assistant chief position that's open. Uh, Dan Jager, our fire marshal, is currently filling in, so he's doing dual role. He's fire marshaling and he's uh, being our operations chief. So that position will be open for a couple more weeks uh, before we test. Um, but it's open for folks uh, in-house to apply or you know across the nation to put in for it. So uh, we got that going. And then our sleep-off program also has some positions open. Um, you know, that's... That's kind of an amazing program, especially if you're just getting started in uh, emergency services. Uh, we can hire you as a trainee and uh, get you in uh, to get an emergency trauma technician class. And uh, once you get your feet under you doing that, you can then step into EMT positions and you can just kind of start growing through the department uh, working in our sleep off center. Okay. I was going to ask because I've never heard of a sleep off program. Before. Sure. Um, Basically, what we do is we've got a, a crew of really dedicated EMTs that uh, they've got a couple of vans, uh, and they just work in the community. So if there's somebody that's uh, you know uh, extremely intoxicated, uh, public inebriate, some of our homeless folks, 
we we make sure that they don't you know get hurt or killed or you know things of that nature so they, they try and solve problems that uh you know if um, we need to house them for the night we've got a, a sleep off center out at saint vincent de paul's we can put them in a, a room let them sober up and to where they can take care of themselves or we get them someplace safe like to the glory hall or if there's a family member that's willing to take them um, but it's a really great position for learning negotiating skills um getting your feet wet with uh, emergency medicine because uh, you know people see public inebriates and they're just like oh it's just another you know drunk person and it's like it's not you know these are folks that have you know they're there for a reason you know some of them have medical issues that are untreated um, so they're a very vulnerable population and then our, and our folks you know really kind of look out and make sure that you know these folks have got the best care that they can and um, you know they might not be making great choices right now but you know they're medicating something or uh, they just don't have you know something in their life and, and this is filling a, a gap for them so but it's a fantastic place to, to really get your foot into emergency services and see a whole different part of Juno and uh, man that's where I got my start in emergency services working for our uh, sleep off program when the hospital ran it years ago okay <laughs> I guess that answers some questions because I remember you always see like movies and TV. Of course, they call it, they always call it the drunk tank in those sure. movies and TV. But I'm always like, I'm sure there's a, a nicer, more professional <laughs> term for that. And so I guess that kind of does answer my question of what is that in the in that proper professional capacity and how is that helpful for the community? So it's good to hear that. I, th- I appreciate that. Yeah, it's more than than just a drunk tank like you see on TV. They mm-hmm. they try and find uh, resources. So if somebody's got a family member that's out of state somewhere that can take care of them, they'll ha- help track people down and make those connections and, and help get you back to your family. But uh, they're really into trying to solve the problems and, and really work towards resolving our public inebriate problem here in town. Which I think is the big part is that is working to solve the problem versus just sort of band-aid fixing it. Yeah, we could be a revolving door all day long and then have no shortage of clients. But, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, minimize that problem in our community as much as possible. Definitely. Okay. Now, another question I had, and this is because uh, Wade Bryson, who, as you know, is on the city assembly, but he also comes in and does the Problem Corner program. He had noticed what looked like an armored car the other day. What's that about? Sure. Um, uh, it's been a couple years ago. Uh, we were awarded a grant uh, at the city for a, a armored type vehicle, and uh, it's a joint use facility or not facility vehicle for the the CBJ. Uh, for whatever it needs to be used for. So where we envision using it is uh, if there's an active shooter situation, uh, we can put EMTs and paramedics in it and they can get us into uh, where people are injured. Um, And then we can uh, get out of the armored vehicle with a police escort to make sure that our folks are safe. We can provide emergency medical services uh, in that warm or hot zone much, much faster. We've learned throughout the years of all these mass shootings that that a lot of people, you know, could have been saved if they could have got emergency medical services sooner. But typical departments wait till the shooting stopped and the person's either, you know, been dispatched or, you know, in custody before they start trying to provide care. Our plan and our goal is to get in, you know, while things are still going on and save lives, um, you know, get people out of those, those active shooter situations much, much faster. And then our rescue team can also use it, uh, you know, because it's got a lot of tie-off points and it's a very heavy vehicle. So they can use that as an anchor for, you know, rappelling down uh, hillsides and stuff like that. So uh, those are our two biggest uses for it is uh, just protecting uh, EMTs and medics and, um, you know, those hostile situations. Okay. When when I first heard, heard him just sort of describe it, that's sort of what I would envision it was for. I was going to say I don't see a circumstance where we would use that to fight a fire. 
per se? You know, there there have been over the years, um, not necessarily here in Juneau. Um, you know, when I was working up north, that uh, where you've got people barricaded in structures that light their house on fire and they've got rifles. And um, you could attach, you know, firefighting equipment to it and, and get in and help keep the fire from spreading. So if somebody were to do that in the downtown area, we could provide some cover for the firefighters um, you know, while they're trying to keep the fire from spreading to, to other parts. But, you know, it's not a militarized, you know, kind of, you know, you know, we're out, you know, the city's not out there and, you know, preparing for combat in the, in the community. It's more just protect the folks that are already working in these situations, give them a little bit extra, you know, cover and protection. Okay. And I appreciate you presenting a practical example because I was having trouble thinking of one. Sure. Because I'm like, that's not a thing I typically think of having happen is someone barricading and then setting stuff on fire. Although I'm, sure, I'm confident that has happened. I'm sure it has. But Yeah. We just had an incident uh, a couple of weeks ago where somebody barricaded themselves in a shed and poured gas on themselves. And, and uh, you know, we got no idea what we're going into other than that's the information and you know just trying to find ways to to protect our our firefighters emts and and police officers okay now as i tend to do a lot with the the program since i've sort of since i've taken over the program i should say (laughs) uh is i always want to open the floor and ask you if there's things in particular that you would like to talk about with the community that i haven't already asked you because there's always the fact that I'm human, and so there's only so many <laughs> things I can think of maybe before a program. Sure. Uh, the big thing I wanted to hit uh, today is uh, the outdoors here in Juneau. We have a beautiful community, and people are really eager. Um, there's been a lot of cabin fever, so people are trying to get out on trails and out on uh, the water and stuff like that. This is a really busy time of year for us for rescues. Uh, trails are slippery. Uh, people are falling. Uh, we have a lot of leg and ankle injuries this time of year. Uh, we have folks that venture out on the ice thinking, oh, it's safe enough, but the ice is garbage right now. It's, you know, I wouldn't put anything out on it. Um, and the, the rescue calls we get typically this time of year are people let their dogs go out on the ice and their dogs fall through, and then they want to go rescue their dogs. So um, that's where we start running into the, the most problems. And uh, we do get kids that fall through the ice in some of these small ponds around town because they're shaded and it takes a lot, lot longer for them to finish thawing out. But uh really bad time of year to be out on the ice um you know it takes almost a half hour to get you know the firefighters in ice rescue suits and out on the water to be able to actually do a rescue and that's a long time to be in that freezing cold water so uh, we encourage people not to go venture out on the ice and if you go out on trails you know make sure you're prepared to spend the night um you know if you get injured and you know you're get hurt at the end of the day it could be dark by the time that uh, rescuers are able to get out to you so uh, be prepared for the outdoors and don't be caught off guard because stuff happens all the time here in, in Alaska no I can definitely agree with you on that you should always you should always plan if you're going out make sure you have things prepared in case because you don't know what's going to happen and that's that's a big part of it and then to sort of comment on the ice front my general rule of thumb has always been unless you see a decent amount of snow build up on that ice <laughs> i would just not go near it which i think is a fairly safe assessment because if it's holding all the snow i'm fairly certain it's going to be thicker than <laughs> what you'd see right now yeah we have community members that go out and drill the ice and measure it stuff like that but also remember that uh, we've got a moving glacier attached to the, the Mendenhall Lake, and if it drops big chunks of ice, it could fracture fracture the lake. And you know that's one of our big nightmare scenarios is to, to have 100 people in the water out in front of the glacier. And uh, people go out there unprepared all the time wearing, sh- on, a, on a sunny day, they'll wear shorts and, and you know tennis shoes, and, and they'll get stuck and hurt. And uh, it, it compounds what 
was you know a low priority rescue to a higher priority because uh, hypothermia is going to start setting in much much faster. No, I can definitely agree with you there. Although I do did want to joke. I mean, isn't the the Alaskan way where as soon as there is any sun, you put some shorts on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what we always <laughs> do. <laughs> All righty. Well, it looks so. like we got a little a little over a minute left here. Do you have any closing comments? Um, we really support uh, appreciate the support from the community for the fire department. Um, you know, the the stuff we're able to do and and help out the community. We couldn't do that without the community's trust. So, um, you know, we really look forward to to getting out there and interacting with the the public this year. Um, we're, we're trying to put together public events and show up to community events, ball games, and you know some of the festivals and stuff like that, and just get our medics and EMTs out there, you know, interacting with the public and find out what is it they want to see out of their fire service because this is your guys's department. We just have the, the, the good fortune to work for it. And, uh, you know, feel free to stop by your fire stations, get a tour. Um, you know, we're, we're an open, open community fire department. So, uh, you know, we really encourage that uh, interaction with the public. And I, was saying, I think that's the goal is if you can have that sort of public transparency, public communication with your public. And this is something I had said with JPD as well. It, it helps with making sure that the community is safe because they know who you are. You all interact with each other. And that helps build up a trust and a knowledge that you are in. You're in good hands. You have those people there. You know them. They're part of your community. And that's a really big big aspect of it yeah we can't do our jobs without the public trust and and with that public trust we have to protect patient information so we're as open as we can but we also have a little bit of information that we have to protect for people's rights to privacy exactly like and i think the perfect example is anything like medical you can't share that there's there that's all within the news sphere that is a given that you can't give me medical information because that's not something that you need to know exactly it's just not something that that's not something that I need to know. That's not something that the general public needs to know. That is something that should only be known by those offering the medical assistance and those that it's impacting. Yeah, we don't want people to, to not call 911 because they're afraid they're going to be all over the news. So, uh, you know, we want people to feel safe calling 911 for help, whatever that situation is. Definitely. Well, Chief, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been great talking with you, and I hope to see you or Fire Marshal Yeager next month. Sounds great. I appreciate it being here. All righty. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY.